Hello and welcome to Truer Love Stories, a podcast dedicated to real people wanting to create real love. I'm your host, Taryn Newton-Gill. In each episode, we'll explore the stories of people who are at a crossroads in their love life. I'll help our guests navigate their personal love story by providing them with holistic ways of writing a new, more empowered narrative around love, one that's truly aligned with who they are and what they want. Thanks for tuning in to Truer Love Stories. Welcome back if you are a regular listener and if you're new, we're very happy to have you here this episode. This actually is a very special episode. And I know I say that all the time because I want to think all my episodes are special. But this one actually is very special because today we have a lot of firsts. So it's the first time that I'm not actually coaching my guest, but I'll be interviewing them. And it is the first time you will know my guest's name and who they are. And it's the first time we'll have a man on this podcast. So I don't know if maybe those clues have given it away already, but today's guest is none other than my husband, Jason Herschel Hinshaw, otherwise known in the streets as Huck and Babe, if I'm the one talking to him. So welcome, Babe. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here. How are you feeling? It's good. Yeah, yeah, this is a complicated little setup in our in our home office to do your first <laughs> person to person podcast. You didn't mention that this is the first time that you're recording in person with somebody for True Love Stories. That's true. It's usually remote, and we happen to be recording in the same room that we got married in. That's true. <laughs> Not using the same computer. We we got married on a different computer than the one that's recording this podcast. But we got married on. Microsoft Teams. We did. In this little office space. We did. <laughs> More on that later. So I have been wanting to have you on my podcast for a while. It, it's been a dream of mine. You mentioned it before. Yes, but it feels extra appropriate for this month because this is November's episode and we did get married or rather we had our wedding a year ago last November. True. But we've been married for now. Almost two years. Almost two years. Right. Yes. So we actually had three ceremonies altogether. Our beach ceremony we attempted to have was first. That was first. Where we just ended up going to the beach house because our friends couldn't come because of COVID and we couldn't get the marriage license. So we went to the beach house and had like a soul ceremony. Yeah. Pledging ourselves to each other ceremony. Which was which was nice. I liked that. Yeah. But then I felt like, well, I kind of want that to be real because I don't know when we're going to actually be able to get married because of COVID. Well, no. Remember, we we when we first tried to to get married, which did the beach house thing, we applied for a marriage license, but we couldn't get an appointment until like the following January, like right. two months later. So we had the appointment. And we figured we'd see if they could backdate it because we still wanted to have the ceremony. Of course, we ended up not having like an efficient do a ceremony. So it didn't really matter. But they I remember they called us to confirm the appointment and they're like, we can marry you online. You don't have to come in. And we're like, uh. Okay, sure. Yeah. And so kind of just on a whim, we're like, okay, we'll get married online. And this was before we knew when the vaccine would be coming or anything like that. So we did that. So that was our second ceremony, online Microsoft Teams. Yeah. And so our that's our official wedding date is January 25th. Yep. And then 
we had our wedding last November. So full circle, here we are. Right. So that all said, we are live and, you know, our space isn't that large. This is normally your office by day and mine is in our bedroom next door. Well, it's it's my office by day, but it's also your vanity. It's my makeup room. So, yeah, we, we share <laughs> this. This space has many functions, but at the end of the day, we're kind of each other's coworkers when we're home. I mean, you have your own coworkers at your job, but I don't really have my assistant and my editor. Yeah. And then I have you. So, you know, I'm your office mate. You're my office mate. And you do actually wear a lot of roles here at Truer Love, of course, also because you're the CFO. <laughs> you're my IT person. You're my photographer. You're my graphics consultant. I, you know, I was thinking about this. I don't know if I'm really the CFO because I don't make the financial decisions for Truer Love. I'm more like the financial consultant. Yeah. I call myself the chief financial consultant. Okay. The, so you're the CFC. Yeah, I'm the CFC. Okay. I'll have that drafted up. Okay. So that all said, you know, like any good coworker, I go to you about work stuff, right? And so this often leads to really, you know, in-depth discussions often around dinner, discussing love and dating and just things that are coming up in my mind. And in that time, like, you know, well, I always say we have we have really good dinner conversations because we always end up talking about something, whether it's like the nature of the universe or science versus religion or whatever it may be. The history Some heavy of, topic. Yeah, the history of the Roman Empire. I mean, <laughs> you never know. Dinner time with Huck. But oftentimes we do end up talking about relationships. And true. you, like myself, had a long history of dating. Very true. And you have a lot of insight, I think. And this is why I really wanted you on the podcast, because you always say... Pretty brilliant things, I think. I mean, I know I'm biased, but you say some good stuff. You throw some good stuff out there. And I thought it'd be really cool for my audience and my community to get a little peek into what a secure guy who wanted a relationship went through, what his perspective is on things. You know, do we really think men and women are that different? Is it really about that? I mean, you don't have to answer that lofty question. To start yeah, that's, out that's a whole podcast but episode unto itself. It is. But I think that there's a lot to gain from people hearing your perspective. And so I'm excited to get into this conversation with you. Just so the audience knows, she's been furiously writing questions for me to answer for like a week since I agreed to do this. I mean, because I feel like if I don't have an outline, I'll talk to you about anything and everything that comes to my mind. So just like a normal day. Yeah. Exactly. But we want to give them a little bit of right. Know. It's an it's a podcast episode. It needs to be more targeted. Exactly. So here we go. Are we ready? Yeah, I think we are. So, babe, what is your first romantic memory? And what was the message you received from that experience? I think it would probably be that time I kissed this girl, Laura, in daycare underwater <laughs> in the pool. I don't really know if there's like a message to take from that, you know, as much as how awkward, you know, young attempts of lo at love can be and how like oddly memorable things can be. I was not expecting for you to say <laughs> when you were in daycare. <laughs> I mean, I think I was like, how old was it? Would I have been at that point? Like maybe 11 or 12, you know? Oh, that's right. <laughs> Oh, my God. Because in Georgia, they call daycare after school care when you're older. Right. And in my mind, for anyone from L.A. out there listening, 
or anywhere else, daycare is like when you're two, three, four years old. No, 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 no. It's, it's the same thing. It's just in Georgia, it goes all the way up until you're, it goes like into adolescent after school care. Like it, it is daycare. I started like when I was like three or four and I was in the same place until I was like 12 or 13. Okay. But in my mind, that experience you were just talking about happened when you were like three years old. No, no, no. <laughs> so I was like, oh, wow. As a three-year-old, do you recall feeling awkward? That's you're just, like more impressive than I thought. Yeah. I thought you'd say, oh, you were Lothario all the way back then. <laughs> so, okay. So you're like 11 or 12 when that happened. So it really did feel awkward in a way that you remember. Well, of course, like in my, my memory, like romanticizes it and it feels like it's, you know, the makeout scene or the love scene from Top Gun where like, you know, the, the lights are dimmed and there's music playing and, you know, and it's this <laughs> wonderful moment between two young lovers. Of course, probably wasn't anything really like that. It was probably like, you know, this little peck on the cheek and then we both like swam away from each other and, you know, pretended that we didn't like each other for the next couple of weeks. Sure. But sure, I don't sure. remember all that. I just remember that one well, moment. Yeah. Well, that's a director in your head. Yeah, that's that's, that's the way thing. I think about things. OK. And so when do you feel like you started to gain maybe less awkwardness and a little bit more confidence with the ladies. That probably would have been in middle school. You know, I can remember back to my first girlfriend was this girl, Emily, and we were really close friends. And it was the kind of thing where like our parents thought like one day we were going to get married. Like we were that kind of like back and forth and, you know, spending time with each other. So that's really, I think like my first really formative romantic relationship was, was that one. And it's, and it started from a place of friendship. So it wasn't one of those things where like we met each other and thought each other were cute. And, you know, you do middle school things and each other Valentine's and that kind of thing. It was very much, we were like friends for years before it ever became romantic. I love that. That's what I want everyone to experience. <laughs> I mean, obviously it didn't work out in the end. No. I am not married to Emily. I have not to her, talked to her in maybe 15 years. So, Well, that's good considering, you know, this is a monogamous relationship over here. And do you remember like at that time when your parents said that they kind of wanted you to get married? Like, did you have feelings about that at all? You know, I well, you kind of said it already that it's kind of I think about things in the way I think about like film and, you know, that's just kind of the way my brain works. So, you know, back then I remember even thinking it was like a like a sitcom, you know, kind of thing. You know, I thought it was funny. I didn't know if, if there was any truth to it. I don't remember like giving any really thought and thinking to myself, oh, yeah, man, she is my future. There was a period of time where I th I thought to myself she was the one that got away. You know, mm. like I thought to myself, like, you know, maybe my parents are right. And of course, that was more in like my desperate times when, you know, dating wasn't going well and I'd been alone for a long time. Okay. Okay. So it made some impression on you. Oh yeah. I mean, it was formative. Okay. And so at what point do you think, or do you recall knowing you wanted to get married someday? That was pretty early on. I'd say probably sometime like in high school or so, you know, I always remember having this dream, this kind of daydream fantasy of, you know, uh, me going up to this beautiful woman and, and, you know, saying, Hey gorgeous, how are you? You know, and she like smiles at me and she's, you know, my lover, my partner, you know, and at some point, I think maybe as I started to understand, you know, relationships a little bit more, that kind of morphed into she was my wife in my in my mind. You know, mm. that kind of that feeling was always something I really kind of wanted. I think it was it wasn't necessarily that I wanted to get married. Like I thought to myself, like, that's what I want is to be married. It's more that I wanted a relationship as it wasn't the marriage thing wasn't really what I, you know, factored into. I figured if I found myself a good relationship, marriage would just come. I see. But then as you got older and were dating, it did become more clear you knew you wanted to get married and have kids, right? Well, again, I, I don't think it was really like I knew I wanted to get married as much as I definitely wanted 
you know, the life of being married. I, you know, I wanted to have a lifetime partner. I wanted to have a family, you know, and, you know, mm. mar- the marriage, the act itself wasn't something that I was like desperate to have as much as, you know, it was kind of like a step in that process. It was all part of the same thing. Yeah, it was all they were all wrapped into each other. But at the heart of it, it was I just wanted, you know, a solid romantic partner. Interesting. Do you feel like the women you dated mentioned marriage at all? Theoretically or directly to you? Like, do you think marriage itself as a concept is more on the mind of women based on your experience than it is for yourself or for the men you know? I don't think I could say that with any real definitive answer. I mean, I think I'm a little too accultured by entertainment sometimes and the fact that like I think about you know, a lot of women want to get married you know but how true that is from my own experience I don't know it's hard to say because you know it's one thing I assumed we'll probably get to at some point as we talk about all this stuff but you know I never really had that many long-term relations that ever got to the point where marriage was something that was in real consideration you know like most of the times I'd say especially in my 20s and my 30s as I dated you know, the question about marriage was, it wasn't really one that came up. The question more often or not, that was like a make or break was, was kids. You know, do you want kids? Do you not want kids? Cause I feel that's always kind of like a huge deal mm-hmm. breaker, mm-hmm. but do you want to get married or not? I feel like maybe nowadays people don't see that as much as a deal breaker. So it's one of those things where if you get into a solid relationship, but you don't want to get married, it's not the end of the world. You right. know, if somebody else does, or if the other person doesn't, you know, right. like if you had not wanted to actually get married, you know, I think I would have been fine with that right. at the end of the day because I was, I'm really happy in our relationship, you know, and I think being married and we, we've talked about this with other people, too, is being married has not really changed our relationship much, you know, and even talking to my friend Jared the other day, I asked him because he got married about six months ago. We went to their wedding and they're, they're close friends of ours. I asked him, you know, how's married life? And he's like, not much different. Yeah. You know, and I think that's that's kind of the secret. I think a lot of people who are not married don't realize is. Once you get married, your life does not really change that much, especially nowadays with the way relationships work. So many of the things that used to be what you did after you got married, people do before they get married now. So the actual act of getting married and being married, that state doesn't really change your life that much. Right. It's true. It's really it's the relationship itself. Yeah. So but in general, you never shied away from the idea of commitment or a relationship whether that was called marriage or just being together when someone maybe like broached the topic, I'm sure there were experiences where you were dating someone and then you kind of had to broach the topic of, well, what is that, that talk? You know, what is this now? That never made you bristle. You didn't ever have a problem having conversations around that. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think back to when I was again, like in high school, you know, and, you know, being in a relationship was something I always wanted. So commitment was not really something I, I struggled with, you right. know, and most of the time, if I felt any real kind of like pull against commitment or if somebody wanted to commit to me, but I was hesitant, I always took that as a sign that maybe I, I wasn't really interested in a relationship with this person. And that would always be like enough for me to be like, well, you know, I know you want to take it to the next level, but I don't really think I do. So it was always kind of like that talk was either not necessary because I knew what I already wanted or if it became necessarily necessary to have that conversation it's because I probably wasn't with the right person. Well, you kind of have to have that talk even if you do want it. Like you and I kind of had that talk. True. But, but what I mean is to me, we had that talk, but it was really more just confirming what we both already knew right. and both already felt. Right. So that's, that's kind of why to me, like if you need to have that conversation – like if you feel like a burning need to find out whether or not your partner wants to be committed to you, 
there's a good chance you've already seen the signs that they don't want to be committed to you. Mm, there's a truth bomb right there, babe. That's big. That's big. And it's interesting. Like, actually, the light bulbs were going off in my head as you're saying that is that like, just for the sake of this conversation, the story of when we decided we wanted to be together is actually a really good one. Yeah. Because you were coming to my house that night. We had been like, well, for going back just a little since people who've listened to my podcast before and who know me know that we dated for six weeks mm -hmm. and then I ended things with you. The prologue. The prologue. We call that the prologue. <laughs> and then we had like seven months where we didn't really talk. And then I came, you know, groveling back. And well, to be fair, I'd reached out to you a few times during that period to try to, you know, convince you to like maybe talk to me again, you know, using business opportunities as a way to get my foot in the door. So it's not like I had just said, like, I'm done with you and you came, you know, crawling on your hands and knees. You That's know? true. I didn't crawl. I really, I said it in a very dignified way. I said, if you're not seeing anyone and still available and still interested, do you want to have dinner with me? Yeah. And I told you, I'd been thinking about you. I was yeah. very honest. And then you had a good retort. And then we had our talk that night at dinner about kind of how we felt based on not having seen each other. Yeah. Cleared the air, cuddled, kissed a little. And then from that moment on, we were hanging out like once, twice a week. Yeah. Right. Well, it was very fast and furious. Like once we decided we wanted to start seeing each other yeah. before you went on your, on your trip to Europe. Well, that's true. We, I went on my trip to Europe for two weeks. And then when I got back, we saw each other pretty much once or twice a week. Like we weren't seeing each other every day, No, but it well, was consistent and we were talking every day. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking every day. And then we usually, I mean, for that, that first couple of months, it was at least two days a week, if not three. Yeah. It started like getting more and more until I was like at your house for like five days straight. And remember we started counting how many days we'd gone without being apart. Yeah. Yeah. And we got up to like 19 or 20 when we stopped counting. Yeah, that, I remember that was in the run up to us finally moving in together. But there was that period where, you know, we saw each other every single day for a very long stretch of time. And right, at no right. point did it feel wrong or like too much, which was a good sign. Yeah, that was a good sign. And so then back to your point of what you were saying, though, is that that day that we realized we were in a relationship, it was because you were coming to my house and you usually on your way home from work, I guess, on your way to my house, because Tuesday night was our date night a lot you would go and I would place the order for the food and you would pick it up and come to my house. And I remember that night on the phone, you were going to pick it up. And so when I placed the order, I just shorthand didn't think about it, said, yeah, my boyfriend's going to come pick it up. And then when I went to go pick up the food, I, I said, my girlfriend called in an order. And yeah. we didn't realize that we had done that for like a week. Right. But then somehow we were in the car leaving your house. And I like, I maybe, I think I confessed or I think I said to you, like, by the way, I called you my boyfriend the other night when I placed the order. And and then you said, well, that's funny because I called you my girlfriend when I went to pick it up. So at yeah. the same moment, the same situation for the first time, unknowingly, we both called each other boyfriend and girlfriend. But I, I think that's that's honestly what really healthy relationships. That's what they do. You know, yeah. it's, it's not like it's never a point where you have to sit down and say, what are we? Exactly. And that's the I think really insightful thing that you just said was that, and I think it was very true for our experience, especially in that we didn't have to have a whole conversation about it because we already knew how the other one felt. We both intuitively knew we were getting to the place of being exclusive because we both on our own of our own accord called each other boyfriend and girlfriend. And I think that speaks really well to your point that when you are not sure, I think at the very least, it either says, you know, that that person's not committed to you or that it's revealing, it's showing something else going on in the relationship 
that you don't feel confident about that. You're not sure you're not on the same page. And I think it kind of calls back to something I say a lot, which is when you're in a good relationship, you don't feel alone. Right. You know, I don't know. Did you ever have relationships where you felt alone? Oh, sure. One of my longest relationships before we got together was in my early 30s. And it was actually right right around the time I moved out to here to Los Angeles. And I remember a lot of times in that relationship feeling like it was a very one-sided relationship. Like everything was what she wanted to do, how she wanted to do things. You know, and I've, I've told you this before that when we were seeing each other, she would always want me to spend the weekend in her apartment. And despite the fact that I bought like a bed specifically so that she could, you know, stay in my apartment, she only did like three times in a year. You know, it was always a very one-sided thing and it never really, and that kind of starts to make you feel alone. You know, you start to feel like it's not a back and forth. It's not, you know, a circle where one person gives, one person takes, and then it goes back and forth. You know, it really starts to make you feel alone when you realize that you're, you're giving a lot of yourself to a relationship and you don't really feel like you're getting that much back. And when you do get something, it, it's weird because it feels really, really special. Mm-hmm. Like when somebody who doesn't give you a lot gives you something, it makes you feel special. I think it tricks you into feeling like, okay, you know, we're on, we're on a good footing. Things are fine, you know, but at the end of the day, if it doesn't feel like a constant back and forth, it can really start to create that situation where you have to start wondering to yourself, what are we, where are we going? What is this relationship? You know, why do I feel alone here? Why don't I feel like there's right. a partnership? It's almost like you really only wonder that when your needs aren't being met. Right. Right. Because in that situation, you are meeting all her needs. Her needs were kind of the primary focus in the relationship. And often in relationships that don't work out, that's what ends up happening is that one person is regularly getting those needs met and the other person isn't. And often sometimes it's to the peril of, you know, the person who is constantly trying to meet the other person's needs that their needs don't get met. Yeah. And so it's interesting because going back to the feeling of being alone, I think that's why, because when we get our needs met, that means that what's really going on inside of us is being acknowledged. It's being talked about, you know, and when we're not bringing that stuff up because we don't believe the other person is going to care, you know, you start to feel alone. And that is why sharing your needs and talking about them creates intimacy because when you know what the other person's going through, you can relate, you can be there for each other. And I think that's what really creates the closeness and and not feeling alone is you're talking about each other's needs. We're very aware of each other's needs, you know, and we want to meet them. We want to reciprocate, you know? So what would you say was your biggest struggle when you were dating? Getting to that relationship state, you know, it, it was really getting past that initial roadblock that comes that comes in relationships where it's you can't you can't get through to get to that next level where you can start to find that comfort start to find that you know that that intimacy i think that's the hardest part and i think it's it's so awfully true about dating but the it's nine times out of ten the person you want doesn't want you or you want that person or that person wants you and you don't want them you know, but that's what dating is at the end of the day. Dating at the end of the day, it's, you know, you're shooting blanks most of the time. You know, dating is a, a torturous 
violent, sad, <laughs> depressing process. It is. I mean, it that's, is. it's and not that's, fun. I don't know the people who said it's fun. I'm like, I don't understand what people who say dating are fun. They're the people who don't want relationships. They yeah, just want true. to have like fun yep. for a night. That's yeah. all they want. And if that's, if that's you out there and you're listening to this, you know, good on you because that's, that's, that's a way to live in the modern world. But I mean, if you really want a relationship, dating is dating sucks. It's awful. Yeah. You know, I, I but I think that that's really always the hard part for anybody. But, you know, it's like we've said it to each other before. It only has to work once. It's true. And I think that's why I tell all my clients that, like, what I'm trying to teach you is simple, but it's not easy. Yeah. You know, like I can give you a strategy. I can tell you all the things to anticipate and how to handle things and what to look for in people. But at the end of the day, it's still dating. And it's still a process and it's still a lot of deep work and it still sucks, you know, because anything that's worth going for, anything that's a risk is going to be hard and it's going to be a struggle sometimes. You yeah. Know? Anything worth having is not going to be easy to get. Yeah, exactly. How would you say that love or being in a committed relationship is different than you expected it to be? I mean, it's like I've already mentioned this before, the way my brain always kind of goes back to cinema and, and television and the way sort of the, how I think about things. So, you know, rom-coms lie to you, first and foremost. Love, the way it's always presented to people, and I think the way that I thought about it is love in a lot of ways is like you think to yourself, it's how you feel about the person you're with. You know, like it's, do I love this person? And you think to yourself also, how do they feel about me? Does that person love me? But I think what I discovered through our relationship and through, you know, how we fell in love and, and, you know, how stable and solid it's been, you know, for these years is really, it's not so much about how you feel about the person you're with as much as how they make you feel, mm-hmm. you know, like I think a lot of people get confused and, and they get lost because they start asking themselves, you know, do I love this person? And they start asking themselves, does this person love me? But you're kind of missing the point. You know, do they make you feel loved? You can't obviously know the thoughts in another person's head unless they, you know, elucidate them to you, unless they literally speak it out loud or you're just really, really good at reading people. But those thoughts in their head, you can't build your concept of a relationship based on your speculation about what your partner is thinking about you because that's just, you're just going to torture yourself trying to figure that out. But all you can do, and this is because, you know, maybe it's because just the way I, I am and the way I believe in philosophy and that kind of thing is that life is a very subjective thing. You know, reality is a very subjective thing. We can guess about what other people's motivations are, about what other people's thoughts are, about what other people, you know, feel about us. But at the end of the day, the only thing we ever know for certain is how we feel about somebody else and how that person makes us feel, you know, and that's kind of those, those things are what you have to build your side of a relationship on. And when you say what we feel about somebody else, you're kind of saying how they make us feel. Right. Right. The, the feelings that we have about the way they treat us. It's not like saying, right. you know, oh, I love this person. Therefore, we're in a good relationship because we know for a fact that there are tons that of relationships <laughs> that are, that are dumpster fires, but both people actually love each other. But, and it's, it's a cliche, but it's true. Love is not enough. A lot of the time, it's not, you know, so you can love somebody, but if you don't feel loved and feel peaceful in a relationship, right. It's chance of lasting is, is very slim. I think. Yeah. 
Well, it's like how I always tell people that if you have a conversation with someone about something that you need to convey or you want to talk about and you feel better afterwards, that is a really good sign that they are the right person for you. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if it happens on a regular basis. Well, anytime you have, and this is something I think we, the two of us are very good at, and I think it's just because of the nature of our personalities, but if we get to a point where we have a, a big disagreement because we rarely fight. We fought a few times, but it never gets really heated either. It has a short period where there's like heat and then it cools down pretty fast because we're both relatively rational people and we're good about saying, let's talk about this. Yeah. You know, and I think afterwards, if we talk about it and we don't feel good about what we talked about, yeah. it means the conversation wasn't over. Right. You know, like most of the conversations, the the arguments you have with the person you love, if you have that conversation and you try to sort it out and you come to a conclusion and nobody feels good about it, you didn't come to a conclusion. Right. You know, it means you're both still unhappy about the situation, which most likely means that one or both of you didn't make a compromise to find some middle ground in the situation. Or acknowledge what the other person was going through. Right. Right. Or and I think that, that's a that's a bit of middle ground in and of itself is if you can acknowledge what the other person is going through and how mm -hmm. that led to whatever your disagreement is. That's a bit of a middle ground in and of itself because you're putting yourself in their shoes and trying to understand how that happened. Right. Right. Well, what we're talking about in attachment literature, they call it disconnection and repair. And that actually not only is a sign of healthy relationships, but that action of being able to have a disconnection, have a disagreement and be able to repair it actually strengthens the relationship. And that is where a lot of healing takes place because there's always this idea that I talk about all the time in the dating world and just in the like self-help spiritual worlds in general that I have to heal myself and I have to take full responsibility for all of my healing. And yes, you do have to do as much as you possibly can when you have growth or you, you know, just in general in life, acknowledging your mistakes and taking responsibility for yourself is important, but people forget that healing can also take place in a healthy relationship and that the work that I'm teaching people to do is to be able to identify the kinds of people who can go there with you and have conversations at the level we have conversations, because when you are in life with someone, all of that stuff is going to come up like literally any scary thing in life that's going to happen, you're going to experience together. And if you are going to be able to get through it together, you're going to have to be able to have hard conversations and ideally feel better on the other end of them. Otherwise, what's the point? Well, like you even mentioned that, you know, I think for a lot of people, this level of intimacy is scary. You know, it's hard to really kind of, how do I, how do I say this? It's hard to peacefully and calmly dump yourself wide open to the person you're with, right. you know, like a lot of people can do it, but it's, it's a, a very kind of violent action of when they open themselves up and all, it's like people like make jokes about it, that you show you're crazy. You right. know, when you open, your, we all have a little, of we it. all have a little, everybody has their thing, you know, and, and you have to be able to accept that about somebody. But I remember early on in our relationship, when we had our first quote unquote fight, you know, you got real heated over, a comment I made because you wanted to go do something and we had agreed to do it. And then I kind of hinted that maybe I, I would, you know, do something else instead of doing the thing we agreed to do. And you got very angry at me about it. You are so minimizing this situation right now. <laughs> well, I'm trying not to get like too deep into the, the actual story. Cause I think it's not really important to the, to the point here, but the point is that, you know, 
I, I, I crossed the line. So, but you got very upset at me, yes. you know, rightfully so, but it like, it went, got heated fast to me. And I remember my reaction anytime somebody really gets heated is I do the opposite, you know, so I got very calm. Which is, I think, why we're together right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I cool you down when you get heated. Yeah. But that was the first time that that had ever happened to us, that yeah. we had got. We Where had you been saw a little place. bit of my crazy. That moment was kind of scary because I think we were both kind of like, you know, oh, crap, how are we going to handle this? Because for a split second there, it was like, all right, this is an issue and it's how do we deal with it? But I think because of how we dealt with it, it made us both realize, oh, we can be pretty open about, you know, when we have disagreements, when we're upset, but we don't have to do it in like an explosive way. You know, we yeah. can be much more calm well, about how we present it to each other and then how we talk our way through it. And I think the more that we, we've done that over yeah. the years, the easier it's become for us to not even have to have like a big right. argument about right. it. It's more like, you know, Hey, are you still upset about that? Yeah, a little bit. Okay, let's talk about it. And, right. you know, right. and I, I think that that's once you open yourself to that level with somebody and you're in a healthy relationship with a good partner, that specific act of working through those problems, it becomes easier and easier and easier as long as you let yourself, you know, work yeah. through it. And, because and, each time you do it, you're proving to each other we can do this. Yeah. And there's actually not a reason to get upset. And I, I really do credit you and your sense of security, you know, for this in our relationship. And for the fact that we're able to work through it, I mean, I think I'm really a good communicator also, don't get me wrong. But oh, like, yeah, you're you're a great communicator. Yeah, but like going back, I, I'm definitely the one to get heated. Well, when you get really heated, you still communicate it very well. That's true. I just get very heated. Right. It gets louder. There's more curse words involved sometimes. But it's still very well illustrated, very well laid out what the problem is. But I've actually talked about this moment you're referring to, our first fight before, and I really I've used it as an example with people because I got heated and I I told you that what you did felt like a fuck you to it me. It did. That's what I said. That was my like anger coming out. And mm. rather than meeting fire with fire in that moment, you said, you know, that really hurts me. And that moment of you saying that hurts me like that's when all my defenses melted because I was like, well, I don't want to hurt him, you know, but it's like that is when you were saying the raw thing. Like, yeah. and I think that that very feeling kind of comment that hurt me is such a vulnerable and hard thing for people to say sometimes, you know, because then you're, you're giving over your power to a degree to that person, letting them know that they have the power to hurt you, you know? Yeah. And it's an act of trust, I think, to be able vulnerably and openly like you did. Well, I think that's, uh, that's what, as human beings, for the most part, we should aspire to, to be with each other, you know, right? And I mean, obviously, me saying that comes with a certain degree of irony that anybody who knows me would know that, you know, I am, for most of my adult life, I was the guy who didn't really show emotions. You know, you were really the one that kind of like dug a lot of emotional reactions out of me. And the first person I really felt like I could, you know, be bare with my emotions and kind of like really kind of do the deep work. In fact, during a moment of real emotional vulnerability is when I had the spur of the moment idea to ask you to marry me. So, right, right. you know, it's, it's, I think it's, it's one of those things that if you've never been there before, it feels like a very scary thing. Like you don't want to do it. You don't want to be that open with somebody. And, but you really, the hard part is, and this is why dating sucks is because you want to find the person you can be that emotionally exactly. open with, but that's so hard. 
Like how, what's the roadmap that gets you there? And it's different to different people. You know, for us, we found a very specific way to do it and, and it worked out for us and we've had a great method of resolving conflict ever since. And we're both able to be very emotionally open with each other. But for some people, you know, especially if you've had a history of sort of compartmentalizing your emotions and especially for guys, you know, because I, I, I've been seeing a lot of this on social media over the years that there's this kind of feeling for men that people don't care about their emotions. And that's kind of changing now. And people yeah. are trying to like tell other men, you need to be in touch with your emotions. Yeah. But I think historically, you know, men were, you know, kind of told by the world that your emotions don't matter. That's not part of who you are, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not how you should go through the world. Mm-hmm. And I think for men, that's a real struggle yeah. uh, is how do I find that way to be open with my partner? Because I'll, I tell, I mean, I can't say this certain, but I would say there's probably a 95% chance that if a man's in a emotionally stable and loving and well-founded relationship, it's probably because he's emotionally open with his partner in a way that he probably has never been with anybody else in his life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that a lot of, you know, women listening to this will probably think, well, I want a man to be able to do that, but how do I get to the point where I can be that woman in their life? Right. And I think that that's the roadmap that I'm helping women, especially women who have more anxious and insecure attachment styles, because the problem is, is that in the, with those styles, those kinds of women don't always know how to express their emotions or they do, but they're afraid to because they've had avoidant partners in the past who shut that down. Yeah. And I think it's really fascinating because you can have anxious men, you can have avoidant men, you can have anxious women, you can have avoidant women. But I think that the socialization of men and women in our culture, like you said, men are encouraged to suppress their emotions and women are encouraged to express them. Right. And women are encouraged and biologically programmed to, you know, meet a partner and men, sometimes it's almost like they have to be someone before they settle down. Right. Like they don't want to lose themselves. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I I don't know if those two things are necessarily related so much just in that. I think men's emotional unavailability comes from the way that men are told this is who you need to be in order to attract a partner. You know, it's always you need to be successful. You need to be well-dressed. You need to be polite. You know, there's there's this expectation, I think, that gets put on a lot of men, most of the times by their own parents, and that gets kind of reinforced in the world that – you really have to have yourself figured out. You have to have, like you said, right. you really have to be put together before you can ever find a partner. Women don't get that same kind of. No, they don't. Like women are expected, yeah. you know, you find a partner when you find a partner. It doesn't matter what you're, what state your life is in or, you know, how Well, you're made you to are. feel like finding a partner is like the ultimate that thing in job. life. That is your job. I mean, even though in our modern world, you know, my own mother told me I can be whatever I want to be. And like, thank God I was raised by someone like that. Yeah. But all the messaging that we get as kids, I mean, luckily that's changing these days. But back in the day, you know, watching Disney movies, like the princess gets the guy at the end, yeah. you know, and our child will watch Moana. But, right. <laughs> but, you know, I just think it's interesting because what I'm saying, I suppose, is that this point I make a lot that it doesn't help when we date men who are already avoidant. Because the the fact that they are raised to not be in touch with their emotions and then on top of that, they have an avoidant attachment style. It's like it's given you the message that you aren't worthy of this love or, you know, you're needy if you want to express right. your feelings. Right. Like and so then women try and do the opposite and just act cool and then they don't actually share how they feel. 
right? And you and I were just talking about this earlier today about how sometimes women are just not direct sometimes that you would like, like we were having that discussion yeah, about yeah. how like you would kind of miss sometimes if someone was flirting with you. Well, I, I like I said that a lot of men historically, you know, were bad at reading subtle hints. You know, most men, you know, we could look at a woman who's, you know, giving us the, you know, make love to me eyes and think, you know, is she, is she squinting? Is it too bright in here? You know, like you, you miss, you miss the signs. You don't like as men, we're not as in touch with our emotions. So we, we don't recognize right. the subtle emotional hints that, that women give, right. you know, but this isn't a secret. I mean, the world knows that men are horrible at reading right. those kind of subtle hints, but there is still this expectation sometimes from women that, you know, why didn't he pick up on the subtle hints, right. you know? And I think it's, it's this weird self-reinforcing delusion that we all have about, you know, like I'll get better at picking up on the symbols and then, you know, well, and just like, I don't want to have to work to explain myself to anyone. I want it to be natural and just have them understand. Me. Again, like me, movies and TV have lied to us. Right. You know, they tell us that, you know, Oh, you're going to bump into somebody while you're trying to get a candy bar out of a vending machine and bam, you're in love. And that's a whole thing. Like the meat cute is nonsense. I mean, that's yeah. not how relationships are formed. No. You know, it's um, like 5% of people actually meet that way and it works out. Right. And, but not to mention like, a lot of the things that if we talk about subtle symbols and that kind of thing, what, what's the, the one location most of us think about where that kind of thing happens and a bar, you know, like you think about it as a bar where people go to a hang very out. romanticized place, right? It's romanticized, but at the same time, how many relationships do you know started in a bar that are still going and going strong and they're solid? I can think of two off the top of my head of everyone I know, which is a lot of people. I love, you know a lot of people. I do know a lot of people. So. I like I can't really say definitively. Most of the relationships I know that are solid, that are going and have been going for years, they were online, you know? Yeah. And I mean that's the way that we a lot of people date nowadays. I mean, if you really meet somebody in a bar in twenty twenty two and you get married to them, that's that's a story unto itself. Like yeah. I remember ten, fifteen years ago you told somebody, Oh, I met online, and be like, Oh, really? What's that like? You know, nowadays you tell people somebody that you met online, they're like, oh, okay, what website or what app? Yeah. But, but you tell somebody, I met a girl, I met somebody in a bar and like, we've been together for five years. They're like, what was that like? You I know met somebody that's in a like bar? the new, like odd way to meet people. Yeah. It's like meeting somebody in person is such a special thing now. Yeah. That, like that's if somebody why everyone resists the dating apps, but I'm like, most everyone's on the dating apps though. Well, and I, I think like dating apps and dating websites, they simultaneously made dating easier but also more difficult. But I also don't blame the apps or the websites because they're not the source of the problem. They're just a symptom of it. You know, what, babe? that's exactly what I said. I know. And this, I think the problem at the end of the day is the diversification of, of culture. You know, I mean, if you look back 60, 70 years ago when people met in bars and got married and that kind of thing, there weren't, 1500 genres of music that people listen to, you know, there weren't right. 30 different kinds of television shows you could watch, you yeah. know, there, you didn't identify so much of your own personality with your politics, you know, like the way that culture has, has started to stratify, you know, and, and everybody's been putting themselves into lanes based on, you know, how you dress, how, what you've listened to, what you watch, what you like to read, what your politics yeah, are. Yeah, everyone's really niched their lives down into different interests. That's a great way to describe it. Like everybody has niched themselves down to this like pinpoint version of themselves. And we all like things that are outside of that self-identity that we have for each other. And I, and I know I could say I'm guilty of this because for a long time, and this is, you know, kind of circling back to the point a little bit too, for a long time, you know, I always thought my ideal woman was 
somebody who liked video games like I do, like sports like I do, like the same music that I do, you know, and I dated women like that for most of my adult life and none of them had ever worked out, you know, and I didn't really understand that. I was like, if we can like all the same things, you know, why isn't there some base that kind of lends to a relationship? Because, you know, and I love the movie High Fidelity, but you know, there's a line in there that really kind of lies to you where the main character says, it's what you like. It's not what you are like, you know, but that's a very superficial. It's reading. actually the opposite. It is. It's actually the opposite. And, but that's kind of what he learns toward the end of the film. He starts to realize that it's not really about that. You know, like you can disagree on the things that you like and you enjoy. And you and I are a great example of that because mm-hmm. we like a lot of the same movies and TV shows you know, so we get to kind of like share that stuff. And there's a lot of music that we both really like, but the things that we both like the most don't tend to be shared between us, you yeah. know? So we're able to kind of like share things back and forth. Well, And we like, I think being together, we like, we like going to restaurants. We like food. We like, you know, like we we have similar values, even if our exact interests aren't the same. Well, all the I, time. I've always, I've always maintained that any relationship requires compatibility on all three of the following mental, emotional, and physical, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mental, you need to be able to like some of the same things and like them for the same reason. You know, there needs to be some, something you get out of something in the same way. Like the two of us both love rom-coms, you know, we watch rom-coms all the time, you know, and that's something we are really able to share and we like them for kind of the same reasons. They're feel good. You know, it gives you a really good view of relationships. They're, they're warm and they just kind of, you know, make you like the, enjoy the person you're with. You know, the great for that reason, you know, and that's kind of like, that's a mental piece of it. And then emotional is you have to be emotionally compatible, right? You know, like we're emotionally compatible because like we said earlier, you know, when you have, when you get big emotionally, I go small emotionally, you know, and we're actually both really good at balancing it out. And you didn't mention this, but you when the couple of times that I've had like big emotional moments of being together. Cause once you open that floodgate with me, like <laughs> there, there was a period there where like I yeah. was having big emotional moments on a regular basis, you know, but you're very good at kind of bringing me down, you know, mm-hmm. from that as well. Well, what I would say too, and then, and then the physical piece, of course, too. Right, and then physical and compatibility is easy. Like, do you like, you know, kissing each other? Do you, you like say hugging it's easy, each other? but I think it's not as easy as people think. What do you mean? Like, I think it... No, no, I just meant the physical part's easy to understand. Oh, yeah, know? easy to understand. It's not, not just like... But like, I think they're all connected. Like, I oh, think... Oh, yeah, all three of them are, are connected with each other. And when you get a relationship all where all three right. are solid, yeah, you're in a good place. I agree. And I love that kind of way of thinking about it. I do want to point out, though, or at least make the distinction that, you know, when you mentioned the mental chemistry, you kind of pointed to things that people had in common, like similar interests. Well, that's the way I look at it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I want to add to that. I do think that's part of it. That's a mental piece of it. But I think there's another level of a mental piece, which is why, you know, maybe when you dated women who had those kind of checkbox items of things that you thought you wanted in someone, right? And then you didn't get along. It's because maybe you had that basic mental compatibility about liking something, but your personalities and the way you connected on an intellectual level, which is maybe something that also can happen with friends, right? Yeah. Just that general, like, not just what you like, but the way you evaluate what you like, the way you talk about what you like, the way you relate to what you like. Do you know what I mean? Like you and I, It doesn't even matter what we're talking about. We like talking to each other, you know, even if we're disagreeing and don't like the thing we're talking about, we like debating it. You know, I think like we are friends and we enjoy just 
talking and being together and hanging out. And we come to similar conclusions about things a lot of the time, even if we don't like the same things, we, I think, end up having similar perspectives and opinions. Like, I think we see the world similarly, you know? Yeah. And like, like we can watch a rom-com and you might think one thing and I might think another, but we're happy to just like sit and have the same experience and talk through it. And like, you know, which might be different with a different personality in the mix. You know, well, what I, I mean? think and that's, that's I, kind of what I was leaning towards. I've always maintained that those three things were really important part of it. But now, you know, now that I'm in a successful marriage and, you know, I've been in a great relationship for the last couple of years. It kind of dawned on me that there's a fourth pillar there that I never realized. And mm. it's communication. You know, mm. it's, it's how do you communicate with your partner? And it, the same thing. And I don't know why it never dawned on me before. Cause if you look at your friends, you have friends that you have virtually nothing in common with, but right. you love hanging out with them. Yeah. You know, it's because you communicate with each other. You right. like talking to each other, even if you don't like the same things, even if you're not compatible, you know, in that way, you just, that base level of communication is enjoyable. And, and you know, I think now as I'm older, I look back on that and realize, oh, that's a huge part of mm-hmm of important relationships. And of course, you know, granted you, you drilled that into me from an early part of our relationship. It's very important. Just so everybody knows she's, she's been having these true love thoughts for a very long time. So she's like been deep in this for a very long time. I mean, it's kind of just who I am. So it really is. It's who you are at the end of the day. (laughs) It's deep and ingrained in you. It's true. Hello, my friends. I'm interrupting this episode real quick to tell you about a new exclusive group. I'm starting for women who essentially have everything except for love. Do you have a career, money, and great relationships with your friends and family, but still can't seem to figure out love for the life of you? Are you sick of using the dating apps only to meet people that ghost you and are just tired of wondering when and if you'll ever meet your person? If you're nodding yes as I ask you these questions, my new Facebook group, Manifesting Secure Love, is a space I made just for you. It's where we'll go in-depth with the challenges facing successful, independent women who still want love and give you the support you need to make that love a reality. You are a friggin' boss, and there is no reason you can't be just as successful in your romantic partnership as you are in everything else you do. If I can do it, you can do it. And women are better when we support each other. I'll be hosting a kickoff Facebook Live on the three top differences between success in career and success in love on Friday, August 26th at 1 p.m. Pacific time. And then I'll be hosting lives every week after that at the same time. So don't waste another minute of your precious time trying to figure out this love stuff on your own. Head over to my website at truerlove.com slash manifest and click the join group button. There is no charge for being a member, just a Facebook account and a willingness to learn and grow. All right. Now that you know how to start manifesting, let's get back to today's episode. But kind of coming back to what we were talking about before, I think that that communication piece, which, by the way, it's one of our love languages. There used to be five love languages. Now there's seven. And two more. What are the other two? Yeah. So there was always quality time. Right. Words of affirmation. So they have made a distinction now. And I think this officially came from Dr. Gary Chapman, who created the love languages, but I'm not 100% sure. But if you look it up online, it does now list seven. But words of affirmation are distinct from communication in the sense that words of affirmation, meaning either you show love by affirming people, which like I'm super like that, like I love complimenting people, but then also receiving words of affirmation, like just someone praising you kind of, or, you know, saying nice things, words of encouragement, you know, 
some people really need those words of encouragement more than others. But they've now made it distinct that communication is in and of itself a love language, which is, I think, my impression of that is that it's more reciprocal back and forth. You know, it's not just saying nice things necessarily, but it's what you're talking about, that we build intimacy by being honest, by sharing, by connecting. Which I I think it makes sense. I mean, words of affirmation being, you know. I love you. You know, you look very pretty today. You know, I I love when you smile like those kind of that's that kind of words of information. Yeah. Yeah, But that's not that's not how you communicate necessarily in your relationship. I mean, I think every relationship people say have words of affirmation that they give each other on a regular basis. That's just kind of part of being in love, part of being in a relationship. But yeah, that communication being its other thing. It's more like, do you like talking to your partner? Yeah. You know, like, do you like having long conversations with your partner? And that's kind of like one way you show your love is by having these deep involved conversations, being interested in what they're talking about Mm -hmm. and what what they, what they've got going on. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. So what's the other one then? So, and then the other additional one is, I think it's called expressions of love, but it really just means having sex. (laughs) Because they used (laughs) to. They just didn't want to say physical intimacy. Well, physical touch is one of the original five. So, original five. Well, I remember that was it was touch, words of affirmation, gift giving, or something like that. Quality time and acts of service. Those are the first five. But then they added communication and what what do they call it? And expressions Expressions, of love. Expressions. I mean, that, that's a weird thing to name it because, I mean, expression of love, just they should like, just it's, say it's words of affirmation. That's It's, it's just another way of saying words of affirmation, but it's, expression they mean, of love. They mean sex. So. I know. It should just be, it should be like physical intimacy. Yeah. You know? But physical touch is another one. And well, there's a difference between to, physical touch exactly, and physical Exactly. That's why. So now they've separated because they used to, people used to say physical touch is one of their love languages, but physical touch can be distinct from sex because- when you massage me, you know, when we hug, when we kiss, when we hold hands, like that's different from actually having sex, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a different, it's a different level of relationship maintaining. I don't, I don't know. Like to me making sex essentially its own love language. I don't know. That seems a little dangerous, you know, like it makes people think like if you just like having sex with your partner, like that's the way you express your love, you know, like I feel like that's, I feel like they can give people the wrong impression about you know, the nature of sex and relationships sometimes. I think that you can have sex and not love someone. And that's the confusion. Yeah. Is maybe what you're speaking to. Well, that's that's saying like somebody could think that like, of course I love you. My love language is, is having sex with you. It's like, "Eh," you know, but I think that is true for some people. But what Dr. Gary Chapman always said is that you just like how we can learn other languages in life, right? Like maybe I'm born speaking English, but let's say you didn't speak English. We essentially could learn each other's languages and we might not speak them as fluently, but we could find a way to communicate. And so that's the idea is that both people, you need to be willing that if your partner expresses themselves differently and or needs something different to feel loved, open, being open to kind of speaking that love language with them. But I don't know. I think we kind of digress from the point. I don't remember what exactly the point was. What was the question? I, the tangent was love how languages. We, how did we start this? Yeah, we were talking about love languages, but it's because you were saying that you feel like communication is one of the things. Oh, yeah, yeah. And just connecting. And I just, I think it's fascinating though, because especially because, you know, I work as a matchmaker also. And, you know, we ask people what they really want in someone. And I just always want to tell people, like, it's not what you think. You know, like they're going to come in a different package than you expect. Well, there's a reason why that saying, you know, that you're everything I never knew I wanted. Yeah. Is why there's truth to it because you think you want something. You have an idea in your head of of what you want, you know, but when it comes to relationships, nine times out of ten, 
the relationship that the, that's the best for you is not the one you want. You know, because the one you wanted is some idealized version, some fairy tale fantasy thing about, you know, what you think you want your life to be like. And your life isn't going to be that way. And it's, that's honestly, that's a, that's a really good way to look at life in general, not just relationships, you know, Mm -hmm. like there are people who, when they're, you know, in high school start planning their lives out. I mean, how often does your life work out the way you think you want it to? I mean, there's, there's that other saying that, you know, life is what happens when you're, Making, making other plans. plans. Right. Uh-huh. Like, and it's the same thing. Like if you're sitting there fantasizing and idealizing about the life you want to have or the relationship you want to have, you're missing what could be, you know, the, what the relationship that is the best for you. Right. You know, and that, and honestly, that kind of maybe could have explained a little bit of what, what happened, you know, between us, you know, is, mm-hmm. you know, you looked at me and you didn't think that I was the relationship that you wanted. Mm-hmm. But when you ended things and the more you thought about it, you more realized, hang on a minute, maybe I missed something here. You right. know, and, and now we're in, you know, the best relationship either one of us has ever had. And I think it's, I think a lot of people get caught up in that. They, they have that, that idealized version of what they think they want. And then they miss out on the great thing they could have. Right. And I think that that is, it was haunting me because I knew, okay, he's not matching this version of the fantasy I have in my head. I was going after those guys and it never worked out. Right. Yeah. You really wanted a European at the end of the day. <laughs> I don't really think I dated many Europeans, but, no, but you, like, I did date people from other countries. A some lot. like suave French dude would have been like your ideal <laughs> back then. Maybe, well, even, maybe even now, like if, if you couldn't have me, I feel like your second best option would be some really suave French guy. Babe, why do you think I like when you talk with a Scottish accent so much? It makes me feel like you're a little European. Right. Which I'm not doing on this podcast, by the way, because this is going to be in perpetuity. She does a really good job, though. She <laughs> thinks I do. I don't know if it is. Yeah, I mean, but we did just spend time in Scotland. I heard real ones. You, you're, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, see, now you're, now you're like, eh, you know, with a bit of a smile, which means like maybe I thought it was better beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> well, regardless, I think that I knew you were what I needed, you know, and so there is that distinction of you can't always get what you want. But sometimes if you try sometimes. You get what you need, you know, and, and the stones think, were onto something. They were. And I think you're what I need. And I think the more I got to know you and the more I missed you when I ended things with you, I realized you're also what I want, yeah. you know, but I do think that that fantasy in our head or that the person we're kind of picturing, you know, leads us astray sometimes because again, we're making the focus kind of like what you were talking about before. We're making the focus, the qualities in them that we think we want in someone. And we're leaving how they treat us out of the equation. When at the end of the day, that's what you need to feel loved is how someone's treating you. Yeah. You know, and you, you of course want them to have certain qualities. Like I wanted someone who was funny. I wanted someone who was a family man. I wanted someone who wanted to travel with me. I wanted someone who could get along with my friends, you know, and you meet most of those to certain. Yeah. You got, you got three out of four on that list. (laughs) Which one didn't I get? That's, oh, I mean, I'll travel with you, but, you know, Which traveling is, is definitely not my... You don't like to travel as list. much as me, but no. you're willing, obviously, to go places with me. Some, some places. Some Not everywhere that I want to go, you will go. But not that's Thailand. why I have friends. some places. Right. Not Thailand. I'm going to get you on that one, though. While you were talking, something kind of dawned on me that I think a lot of people, when they have these that their ideal relationship or their ideal partner, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people see passion and they want that. You know, they want passion, but I think what a lot of people miss is passion is it's a spark. It's fleeting, you know, sparks by their very nature don't last forever. You know, they're quick and they flash and then they're gone, you know, and I think a lot of people don't realize that what you want to live a good life is you want happiness and contentment and contentment doesn't come from 
that spark, you know, that like flash of passion, you know, that's great in the moment. But if when that goes away, there's no, no contentment as like the foundation it. for it, <laughs> then you're just in a relationship with a lighter, you know, that's going to run out of fuel. Well, that I think is why people have such up and down relationships sometimes is they're chasing the passion. That's a really good way to say it. Yeah. And I think that that's what people really mean when they say there was no spark. Right. They, they want that. Everybody, everybody wants to have, you know, that butterfly in their stomach, you know, he pushed me up against the wall and we had this really like passionate, intimate moment kind of everybody wants that. And those moments are fun, but those do not make a relationship. Right. And I think that there's something different between having a spark and having chemistry. Right. Chemistry is what you can build an actual, stable, solid, loving relationship on. You can't build it on a spark. Right. But I think the two get misconstrued. I thought of one of the one in the same, you know, that if you have chemistry with someone, you're going to have a spark, you know, and I think you and I, our spark has developed. I mean, you might feel differently, but for me, like we've always gotten along. You are always easy for me to be with, to talk to, to be around. Yeah. But I kind of, I think, took that for granted in the beginning because I didn't feel the immediate spark. Yeah, Do you know I, what I mean? I, I absolutely. Like I think a lot of people are are that way in that, you know, they'll go on a date with somebody that they have a great conversation with, that they're easy to talk to, but they don't feel that immediate like, you know, oh my God, I want to get this person back to my place. You know, they don't feel that immediately and they think, okay, that means I'm not interested. Like, no, that's not really the way right. human relationships work. You know, the more you enjoy spending time with somebody, like that's where I think what people need to adjust their interest level in is stop being so concerned with the spark. Start being concerned with, did you enjoy spending time with that person? Yep. Yep. Did you enjoy that company? Do you feel like you want to see them again? Yeah, like when you go on a date, don't come home and start analyzing. I didn't feel butterflies or they never made me feel like I had like swept off my feet or something like that. That's, that's not important. You know, what's really important is you were with them for two or three hours. Did they make you laugh? Did you enjoy the conversation? Were they fun to be around? Did you ever get tired of being around them? Like, did you feel after a while that you wanted to go home? You know, because I, if you, if you think back on dates, a lot of us even talk about it and don't even realize what we're talking about. We'll say, yo, we went to a restaurant and like we, we had, we were just chatting all night and then we closed the restaurant down, you know, and people, and people get kind of lost in that. And they think that, oh, that's a spark. It's like, no, that's not a spark. You just found somebody you like spending time with, you know? And if you can do that, if you can find somebody that you'd like to spend time with, and if you can find somebody that you can close down a restaurant with just sitting there talking, Hey, Stick with that person because at the bare minimum, you know, you like being around each other. Right. And eventually relationships get to the point where you live with each other and you're on top of each other for years at a time. Right. Like, I think that that is such a basic thing that gets forgotten or like just taken as a given. So we forget it that like you have to want to be around that person. Right. I mean, our, our relationship, we got thrown in the deep end because, you know, we, we started dating in again in August, 2019. And then we were talking about moving in together right before the pandemic started. But then, so our moving in together timed out right as the pandemic started. I mean, everything in Los Angeles where we live shut down two weeks before we were supposed to actually move in together, but you were pretty much already living here in the house with me that we we live in now. So it it wasn't really a stretch for us, but all of a sudden we had to spend an entire year, just the two of us 
we weren't able to go on trips and see other people. We weren't able to go hang out with friends and family. We couldn't get away from each other, really, because where are we going to go? At no, the end of the day, like small little the, o- the only thing that, like neither <laughs> one of us were able to really get away from each other. Yeah. Like for long periods of time until my office opened back up in June of that year. And I had to go to the office for like a few days. There was a period of like a good solid three or four months where we were on top of each other every single day with no relief. You know, and at the time we wouldn't, we didn't know anything about the COVID, you know, 19 virus. So we didn't really know, can we go outside? I mean, we were like spraying hand sanitizer over our grocery bags at the time, wearing gloves, masks everywhere we went. Like the only thing we did to get out of the house is we go on drives, you know, because we knew we could be in the car with the windows. And we hadn't even found our secret beach that we like going to with no one on it at that point. So we were barely even going to the beach at that point. Right. The first time we tried to go to the beach was I think really late in the summer in in 2020. And like we were there for not very long because we thought it was, there was way too many people and it felt uncomfortable. Yeah. You know? So, and I think people kind of take for granted, you know, how important in a relationship it is being able to spend time with each other because there are a lot of relationships that fell apart during the pandemic mm-hmm. because these people who have been together for years, you know, they had been, both of them had jobs, both of them had social lives. They traveled for stuff. So they spent maybe a few hours together a week on average, like maybe seven to 10 hours a week they'd spent together. And then in the pandemic comes and there's nowhere to go. You're there with each other every single day. And these relationships had never really found that foundation of being able to enjoy spending time together in yeah. a long stretch like that. And they fell apart. Yeah, I know. And so instead we, we thrived. And I think yeah. that was such a big sign to us that we were in something real. I mean, that's really why we got married at the end of the day is because, you know, we realized that, you know, we've been on top of each other for a year in the middle of a pandemic. And not only do we not hate it, but we actually really enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> we sometimes miss lockdown. We do. Sometimes we, we joke about like we have to go places and do stuff. We're like, don't you just miss just like knowing we can just go watch TV together and, and like, hang out like, and not have to do anything else at all. I mean, I've ta- I talked about before. There was that one day in the middle of the pandemic on, was on a Saturday in the spring where we sat outside in the front yard you know, for hours all day long. Yeah. You were like painting a little bit here and there. And, and I, I was, was, I was working a little too. And you did some stuff on the computer and I was like playing games on my phone or something. Or reading, just, yeah. A reading or something like that. And it was just a day spent outside, but it was just the two of us. And we didn't like even talk that much. I don't know. It was day. just, it was just the proximity. And honestly, that's one of the things I've always wanted out of a relationship. And I love that we have that is the ability to just be in proximity to each other and do the things we want to do, not feel like we have to talk, but just, being able to be comfortable in the same room with another person. Would you say that's your favorite part of our relationship? Yeah, I think so. I think my favorite part of our relationship is is how we spend time together. Like how how that feels to me. Yeah. You know, because I, I, you remember early on when we first talked about moving into that, I was a little concerned because I had been a bachelor for a very, very long time. You know, never really lived with a significant other, you know. So I was a little worried about, hey, am I going to am I going to lose some of my independence, you know? You know, I like to, you know, do this and I need a few hours to do that and that kind of thing. And I remember being concerned about it. But once we actually started spending time together, I was like, oh, no, it's great. You just, you want to go do something. You say, hey, I'm going to go do this. And your partner's like, okay. You know, and if you're in a good relationship, it's not anything to be concerned about. Yeah. Because we are really good at making time for each other and also making time for ourselves and doing our own thing and respecting each other's need to do our own thing. But it's also the fact that we can do our own things and be independent of each other sitting right next to each other yeah, and not feel like we have to talk or not feel like, you know, 
bad about what we're doing while the other person's yeah well we don't feel like we have to entertain each other we're not here to entertain or perform we're just here to hang out and be together and i think i think a lot of relationships kind of struggle with that when they first had the idea of moving in together is because you do feel like you have to entertain somebody and i think most relationships that move in together you do eventually find that balance of you know not paying attention to what the other person's doing and you're just shit like it does become more like roommates at a certain point where you're you're how to do you're doing your own things and you can still come together and talk to each other and hang out and you know if you're in a relationship you get to you know hug and kiss and 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 have sex and it's a beautiful you know thing that you're able to kind of mesh all these things together but if you can't just enjoy the simple idea of sitting across from a table from your significant other doing you know reading different things and not feeling like you have to talk to the other person. You have to entertain the other person. Yeah. Just be comfortable in each other's presence basically. And that's why when you're dating, it really is looking for, do I just like, like being around this person, you know, even before you think about, could I kiss this person? Yeah. You know, like, yes, that's an important question, but it doesn't have to come on the first or even second date. You know, I mean, I think at some point it's always good for a relationship. Once you kind of get into it, like go away for a weekend with each other, mm. you know, go somewhere. Cause I remember we did, we did that. We went up to your cabin mm-hmm. for a weekend and it was the first time that we had spent multiple nights and multiple days together with each other. Granted, we left the cabin early because it was infested with yellow jackets <laughs> in the last day, but we, we, we were gonna, but we still spent the rest of the day together, just not in the cabin. But I think that's a really foundational piece for relationships is you need to, you need to go away for a couple of days, usually for a weekend because you need to see what it's like. To spend yeah. that that uninterrupted amount of time with each other. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so that's your favorite part of our relationship. What do you think our strongest part is? Unless you've already said it. Well, it's, it's our communication. I mean, oh. we've already talked about it a okay. little bit. It's it's really how we we solve problems. You know, I think we 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 talk about it all the time whenever we have because we don't we don't fight. You know, which and a lot of people will say if you don't fight in a relationship, that's not healthy. You know that that we do have fights though, babe. Well, we do, but we have arguments. We have there's a difference. We have arguments. We don't have fights. Fights get really big. Yeah, that's true. We have arguments and disagreements. Right. But nine times out of ten, if we have I just realized I'm saying nine times out of ten a lot, but it's a good phrase. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, if we have an argument, we sort it out in less than an hour. You know, we never go to bed. Um, angry. Angry. Not even angry. We never go to bed without a resolved argument. Right. You know, and I think that's really the most important part of our relationship. But I, but I think that that is a, a result of our communication skills. Right. Right. I agree. Yes. And our comfortability with ourselves. Yeah. And the fact that I think you helped make me feel more comfortable being as honest as we are and yeah. as I am. You know, and then I think I made you feel more comfortable to be more emotional with me. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Okay. So what advice would you give people who are dating right now? Grin and bear it. I know it's, I said it before. It's, grin uh, and bear it. Grin and bear it. It's, you know, <laughs> it, it means you just, you got to keep going with it. You know, don't give up because like I said, it only has to work once and you really have to think of dating. And I'm, I'm sure it was the same way before the internet, but I think it's heightened now because of it. But with dating nowadays, you have to think about it like you're an actor or you're an actress. You know, you're going out, you're going on auditions, you're going to get rejected a lot. It's going to suck, you know, but if this is what you really want, you can't give up on it. You just have to keep plugging away at it, you know, and don't let it change you. 
right? Be like, be who you are, be honest about who you are, be honest about what you want and just keep going at the end of the day, because, you know, I can't tell, I can't tell anybody, Hey, you're not going to get rejected because you are going to get rejected and you're going to get rejected a lot. You're going to get rejected way more often than you find any level of success in dating. And that's, that's true. You know, like I said, that's for actors and actresses. That's true for them. Like you look back at the successful actors, you know, I think there's always the thing about George Clooney, you know, he had something like 15 different pilots for TV shows that were made and never aired until he got ER. You know, and mm-hmm. then finally his career, you know, took off. It's the same way in dating. You're going to get rejected mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. lot. I got rejected a lot. I mean, there were so many times that I was really into this person who, for whatever reason, you know, decided they weren't into me. And then, you know, I would get ghosted. Everybody gets ghosted. You know, it sucks to get ghosted. But at the same time, it's just kind of the way the world is. You know, both men and women get ghosted all the time. You know, women, I would say specifically women dating don't feel like you're the only ones who get ghosted because you're not. I can tell you from personal experience, men get ghosted all the time. Granted, men don't get ghosted as much once they've actually gone on a date. I think men tend to get more ghosted before they ever go on a date, just in the mm. early stages of communication. Yeah, which to be honest, like kind of sucks for us because – it's worse when you start getting attached to someone. It is. It's like, what, like it's, it's way more traumatizing when you've like gotten to know someone, let yourself trust them, slept with them, and then they're gone. Well, I know? think I think that men are a lot more willing to, in general, I think men are a lot more willing to give somebody an in-person try, even if they don't necessarily know if they'll like them, mm. than women are. I think mm. women, for the most part, are a lot more head as a tent. And maybe that's a... A, re- a symptom of the way dating works, you know, because men are more willing to give, you know, women uh, a chance in person, but then ghost them. Women don't want to meet in person as much because they don't want to go through that. So that's why men tend yeah. to get ghosted more before there's ever a date, whereas men tend to ghost more after, a, say, a first date. Yeah, I think there are multiple reasons why women just by nature of being women interacting with men need to be more cautious, you know? Yeah. Like there are guys who just so quickly on the apps would be like, want to come to my house, you know, acting like it's like a date or something. And it's like, no, I'm not going to your house. Like, I mean, if I think, I I think that's the, like the guy auditioning, like he doesn't want to put all the effort. I mean, there, there's, there's that saying out there. If a guy likes you, you'll know it. Exactly. And, and when it's the guy's 100% true for you to go to your his house, he's absolutely just trying to hook up. Well, he's, it's, I, I, don't, I wouldn't even say that specific. I think it's more he doesn't know if he wants to put any effort into you, which means he's already hesitant about whether or not he wants anything from you other than maybe So he can't sex. ask you to go for coffee? I mean, like any man should know that in today's world, asking a woman to come to your house not only sounds like a hookup, but like women have to... Care no. about their protection. No, I'm not. I'm not, not going to go to strange men's houses. I'm not saying that they don't want to hook up. That's if a guy says, "Hey, do you want to get coffee?" or "Hey, do you want to like go grab a drink?" Nine times out of ten, that's probably. I really need to stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably because he doesn't know if you'll be interested and wants to give you a short, quick audition for him. When he says, "Hey, do you want to come over?" Yeah, he's probably just looking to get laid and he's hoping that maybe there's something more to it than that. But he thinks at the minimum, I can have sex. Yeah, well, men need to know that it's not cool to invite a woman who they don't know to their house, not even just because you want to hook up, because you could literally invite her for a drink or coffee and still just want to hook up next time. But, you know, 
at least meet her in public so she can feel safe the first time is my strong feelings about that. Neither here nor there. Yeah. I mean, I I think at the end of the day, if you want to be successful dating, you just can't stop. Like there's, there's so many people who say that love finds you when you stop looking for it. That's not true. That's really not true. I mean, that's, that's movies lying to us again. That's people fantasizing about like when you stop looking for something, you find it. It's true when you're talking about like your car keys, you know, or a hat or something. Sure. You're going to stumble on it at some point because you stopped looking for it. But when it comes to like a solid relationship with somebody, there's so much more that goes into that than just meeting somebody. Yeah. Well, I think it's true in the sense that the only time I think that phrase is true is in the sense that like, when we become preoccupied with something and we're obsessed and we're kind of forcing it, we're not putting our best foot forward. We're putting our anxious foot forward. And so you might not find it when you're feeling that way, but when you're coming from a more secure place, when you're just putting your best self out there in a relaxed way, because you're confident, I think it's different when you're looking for it with that energy, as opposed to looking for it with like a kind of more desperate energy or more nervous energy. You know what I mean? Here's, here's the truth. Women hate, when men are desperate, they do for the most part. Cause no women don't like desperation. Men don't like it either, but no one really likes it. No, but men are much more willing to give a, a seemingly desperate woman a chance than women are willing to give a seemingly desperate man a chance. You think so? Absolutely. But that's really because men, I, I think the, they want to take advantage of them. I don't think it's even that it's really just at the end of the day. And we've kind of talked about this a little bit in modern dating for men. A lot of times, it's a bit of a numbers game because I think the the dating dynamics are skewed sometimes a little bit towards men having to sell themselves to women versus women having to sell themselves to men because I think men feel like they have to – it's much more difficult to get a woman's attention. And well, I think because of that, men are much more willing to give any woman that gives them a little bit of attention a chance Versus women are a little less likely to give any man that gives them attention. Yes. And that is actually something that I try to teach women to date more like men in that regard. Yeah. To give more people a chance. Yeah. Like if somebody gives you the time of day, give them a shot. You know, that's a good piece of advice if you're dating. If if somebody gives you the time of day, give them a shot, you know, have a conversation. You know, if they if they don't be so quick to write someone off. Right. If they ask you to come over to their place. okay, then, you know, maybe, you know, get rid of them. They send you a dick pic. okay, you know, not worth it, (laughs) you know, and I know it can feel mind numbing at times. Right. And you kind of just have to like almost half expect that some people are going to be that way and make peace with it. I think that's true. And and I think it's just like any like you're using acting as an example. But I'd say that that's actually true of anything you really want in life. Like it's true with business also that the people who stick with it learn and learn from their mistakes and, you know, keep a positive attitude and can be as resilient as possible. Then they're the ones who are going to have a successful business because they're not giving up on it. And I think that it's kind of what you're saying with acting, with dating. It's like if you really want something then you're going to have to weather the storms of being able to be tested on, is this something I really want that badly? And if so, then you have to find some resilience to put aside your ego about it and just do what you got to do kind of thing. You know, that's a good way to put it too. Cause I think putting aside your ego is a, is that important thing? I mean, I look back at, at our relationship and there was a chance when you finally came around and wanted to see me again, that I could have let my ego get the best of me and be like the hell with this woman. You know, she, she tossed me aside once. I'm not going to give her the time of day. Tossed. 
you know, and, but I didn't, you know, I said, all right, you know, she came back, I'll give her a shot. And I saw who you really were when you did that, babe. Like that text, I remember I was nervous because I didn't know if you would like respond, if you'd say, you know, fuck yourself. Like (laughs) I wasn't sure. And well, I mean, you didn't, you didn't do anything what that I would say was like overly bad or anything that when you, you know, ended things. It no, was I was definitely, I was definitely confused. Yeah. <laughs> but I was very respectful. I called you, right? Like I called you and, and ended things. I didn't just ghost you. I didn't even just text you. It's true. I mean, and, you did, you did the, the right thing and I'm not going to sit here and pretend that like I haven't just sent somebody a text or something and said like, I didn't want to see them anymore. Like, but you called me and that's, that's a, that's kind of a big moment. But I, you know, I still remember that conversation is very funny because I knew exactly why you were calling and like what you were doing. And, you know, I'd still remember to this day, like you kind of went on for a bit and I was like, well, there's no point in, in carrying on anymore. Yeah. I get the message and basically have a good life. Yeah. But I realized after that, like that I was sad when we hung up the phone and that I was actually talking because I didn't want to hang up the phone. And yeah. that was the first time I was like, what the fuck did I just do? Yeah. You were, I, <laughs> I, I even thought about it at the time. I thought it was a little weird, you know, that after I said that you were even so kind of like, well, I mean, okay. Like you didn't like, you weren't like, okay, that's good. Like nine times, nine again, I'm doing it again. Nine times out of 10. <laughs> Like somebody's going to like do the math on this and, re- and like point out that I'm very wrong about the percentages <laughs> the of how likely this happens, you know, maybe eight times out of 10. But I think most of the time if somebody, if somebody's breaking it off with you and they call you and they start explaining their reasoning behind it and the person other than the phone lets you off the hook the way that I did and says, you know, look, you don't have to keep going through this. I get it. You know, let's just be done. Like they'd be like, okay, great. And hang up and that's it. They're like, oh, great. They made it easy on me perfect and then go about their life but the fact that you didn't react that way you know looking at it now like it makes sense because you were doing something that you at the time didn't even know that you wanted to do right you know you felt like you you wanted to do it you felt like you're like i don't know about this guy you know but the other part of you was like what are you doing right now yeah yeah well it was my process of still understanding what i wanted what i needed you know Uh, well i think the funniest thing about that whole thing was when you told me that you thought I was going to be too much of a pushover. And I told my friend who I was with at the time that you said that, and she burst out laughing, you know, like that she thought that was the most hilarious thing that you thought I was a pushover. And it's because you were so accommodating with me. You know, I could tell you liked me. Like, like you said, when someone likes you, you'll know, I knew you liked me. Yeah. And just by the nature of when we know someone likes us and we feel like we have the power, it's like, then we don't like them back as much. Do you know what I mean? At first, like, it's like I needed to have some conflict with you well, ever, some, to so like see feel like that they, other strength in you or that, like who you really were because you were just like being the nice guy with me. Well, so know? many people feel like they need to chase, you know, they have to chase somebody. They have to make them like you. It's like if you could tell somebody likes you, enjoy it. Don't fight it. Yeah. You know, that's another good piece of advice for dating. If you can tell somebody likes you, don't question why. Don't question, you know who they are or, you know, start second guessing it, enjoy it. See if you like them back. Well, I think it comes down to people having enough confidence in themselves to believe that someone would feel that way about them. Yeah. There's, there's people who their, their confidence so low that they feel like they have to make somebody who doesn't like them, like them. Right. You know, it's, it's like, I, yeah. I, I think that's also what relationships do to you over time too. Like, I feel like people in their early twenties don't suffer from this as much no. because they, they have, haven't suffered enough. They haven't struggled. Yeah, they, they haven't, they haven't felt that enough to like, feel like they need that, that chase, that, that, that desire to turn somebody. Like there's that feeling like you want to win, you want to win somebody well, over. What you're talking about is the need for validation. Right. It's exactly. Like, you like, you, I need to prove to myself 
that I'm a lovable enough human being by getting you to love me. You know, like it feels like I've won more when someone who wouldn't does. Well, that's you know? it. It's, you feel like you have to make somebody like you if you because you, you think you don't know if they do. And then when somebody actually really does show you they like you, the fact that you don't have to work for it, like people say, like, wait, that's that's not the way it's supposed to be. Like, I'm supposed to have to fight for this. I'm supposed to have to work for it. Yeah. You're not used to it. Because yeah. you think the butterflies are a sign that you like someone, but they're actually a sign you're uncomfortable. Well, that's, yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, this is why that's the nice guys finish last. It's why it's a saying, 100%. you know, like nice guys in relationships and, and dating like women, they don't feel like they have to work for it at all. You know, it's, it's just given to them freely and they don't know what to do with that because right. that's not the way it's happened to them up to that point. You know, so they, they're like, no, like I should have to work for this yeah. more. But then like, they realize, oh, wait, it's actually nice to be with someone who's nice. Yeah, I feel like a, a lot of relationships, you look at them and you ask somebody like, you know, how did your relationship become what it is? And like anytime somebody says, well, they were like my friend and, you know, they were there when I needed them. You're like, that's the nice guy. He won because, yeah. you know, he was just, you know, he was just the guy. He was there and he was the emotional support and he kind of showed her like, hey, you know, you don't need to be with these people that you have to wonder if they like you. You know, right. I'm here. I like you. There's no guile here. There's no. Yeah, that's know. actually my business coach recently told a story about how she's people are rescuing people like, like when there's a rescue mission after a hurricane or an earthquake or something like that. They can't save everyone. And so they're taught like part of their protocol is like, let's say there was just a hurricane and you see all the survivors kind of like trying to paddle or stay afloat. They're supposed to save the people who are swimming towards them because they are like the low hanging fruit. They're the ones who are the easiest right. to save. It's a volume and, thing when you're doing that kind of thing. Right. You save as many as you can. So you have to save the people that are the easiest to save. Yeah. And people don't want to think about this because we are so taught to romanticize love, right? The, and the, have the fantasy and the meet cute and the story in our head play out. But the truth is, in the way that guys date, I think women can take some tips from that. In the sense that, like you're saying, giving more people a chance and also it's a numbers game. And so sometimes the way to do it is to go with the people who are swimming towards you rather than the people swimming away from you. You know, to your point, if someone is saying they like you, if someone's treating you well, if someone's showing interest, give them the time of day. You know, I mean, granted, if you are completely repulsed by this person, you know, if there's some other red flag or something like that, of course, listen to that, right? Right. But it's what I call the maybes, the people who you like aren't really sure about, but you don't have a solid reason for saying no. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Just, there's no reason if if the guy or the girl looks like, you know, somebody you might like, they like the things that you think are cool, you like talking to them, you don't see anything that concerns you, give them a shot. You know, don't be like, well, it's too easy. Right, because I think that's where the true surprise comes in is that they're going to come in a package you didn't expect. They're going to come in a form you didn't expect. And it's kind of how I teach people to manifest, like stop thinking about the form they're going to come in and start thinking about the feeling. How do you want to feel? Kind of what you said in the beginning that yeah. when you feel loved, I feel loved. I feel cherished. I feel desired. I feel like I know that they care, you know, or whatever it is that is going to make you particularly feel loved. Well, Cause at know? the end of the day, if somebody makes you feel good, you're going to want to make them feel good. Yeah. It's reciprocal, you know? And I think if you, but if you spend so much time on you're making them feel good, you haven't done the first part of that process yet. 
you know, which is making, making sure they make you feel good. Yeah. You know, it's like, reciprocal. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, that's it's a give and take. Well, I realized that the last couple of years of my life before we got together was if I was, if I was dating somebody and they didn't make me feel like they were interested in me or they didn't make me feel like I had their attention or that they had any interest in, in wanting to see me again, I would cut it off. Cause I'm like, I don't feel anything from you. You know, if you're playing games with me, if you're trying to play hard to get, I don't have time for that. I don't have the interest to, to work through that. Yeah. Like, you know, playing hard to get is one of the stupidest things humans do. I really, <laughs> it's a waste of time. You guys, I'm not paying him to say these things. <laughs> well, um. It's how I really feel like playing games, playing hard to get. I mean, it works. There's absolutely truth. It's temporary to it. though. It's, it's absolutely. It temporary. works on the wrong people. Well, but it's not that even that it works on the wrong people. It's that it doesn't have the effect you think it does. Playing hard to get just makes somebody want to get you. And nine times out of 10, this is probably true. Percentage wise. It's the avoidant people. That's what I mean. It's the well, wrong people that you're attracted. It's not even avoidant people. They're just going to have sex with you and leave you. you know? Or that it's the people who are not wanting to commit. Who Any, it works on. Anytime you make a relationship seem like something you have to chase after or something that you have to acquire, you know, by changing somebody's mind or know, changing who you are or changing who, who you are for that. It's already starting off on the wrong foot. Yeah. You know, there's no real foundation. The energy is not there. Yeah. The, the good solid energy is not I there. Mean, it's the, 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 the truth of, and it's, it's sick and sad, but you know, the pickup artist stuff that the men teach other men, that stuff works. You know, it's sad that it works, but it's because you're essentially mentally manipulating people into wanting validation from you as opposed to you wanting validation. It's the from gaslighting. Them. It's, but at the same time, yeah. by doing that as a pickup artist, you're trying to get validation too. Yes. You know, and just as sick it's, it's rooted in insecurity, 100%. Right. And you, that's why playing games with each other. That's why we should not put up with people playing games because it is insecure. It's insecure from the start. It's, it's starting it off. With an insecure dynamic. Well, I would say that's then that's my last piece of advice for people who are day nowadays. If somebody starts playing games with you, don't waste your time on them. Move on. Yeah. It's not worth your time. Yeah. I mean, I think there's more to that in the sense that there's ways to communicate as best you can, make sure that you've done your part. And if they're still playing games, then, you know, there's a fine line between giving someone the benefit of the doubt in the beginning and communicating with them and just writing them off the minute they do something wrong. No, I'm not saying, but if they're continuously playing games with you, then yeah. yeah. Well, I'd like what I mean by, you know, move past them is, you know, if you're having a conversation with them and they start giving you this feeling that like they're gaslighting you or that they're playing hard to get, you know, you don't drop them immediately, but if they keep doing that, then get rid of them. Take a note of it. Make, yeah. make a mental note. Yeah. It's or a flag. Confront it then and there. Yeah. You know, point out yes. like, hey, I don't want to play games. I can tell what you're doing right now. So you can either stop and we can be honest with each other or I'm going to move on. Yeah. And if they keep playing games, hey, chuck them to the side because they're probably not going to be worth it. They're probably not going to be what you're looking for anyway. 100%. Solid advice, babe. Solid advice. I try. Okay. So my last question for you. Okay. Because I know we could talk all day. What are you most excited about for our future? Hmm. I mean, I, I, the first response that comes in my head is our family, you know, starting a family. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it's more general than that. Like, I, I don't want to be that specific. You know, I think I'm more just excited to finally be in a stable, loving relationship with no end in sight, you know, and have a partner that I just like to spend time with. And well, just like to hang out with. You have that now, though. I know. But I'm what I'm saying is 
I'm looking forward to that being the rest of my life. Okay. Okay. I can take that. I can accept that. So I will say that mine is really just seeing us as a couple, like grow into our life together, you know, like, and so it kind of incorporates family. Yeah, wait, it's kind of, I think it's kind of the same thing I said, just the way that you say it, a little bit more relationship <laughs> eloquent. <laughs> well, I do do this part for a living. Right, exactly. The vocabulary for right. this. But, you know, in that, like, seeing us grow individually as people, but also, like, how our relationship will evolve, you know, as we become parents, as we expand our home as we make life decisions together, you know, and just even just, you know, looking, we just went on our honeymoon and got back like a week and a half, two weeks ago from our honeymoon. Yeah. And I feel like every experience that for the good or the bad, it's, it's not even good or bad. I mean, getting food poisoning isn't really good. You yeah, know, I think there's a way you can really make that into a good thing. <laughs> Cause we got food poisoning on our honeymoon the third day. Yeah. That was rough. Just for the audience <laughs> to know before we got food poisoning, I hadn't vomited in 22 years. Just putting that out there. Yeah. I'm going to tell everybody. He's, he's upset about, about it. Yeah. I'm very too. upset about it. I had a record going and now it's blown. And so there was like that emotional part of it when <laughs> I, it wasn't just that we were having this physical problem together and right. being sick together. But also, like, there is that emotional piece where I'm like, it's okay, babe, just let it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> trying, but, to, trying to tell me it's fine. You can vomit. <laughs> yeah. You digress from my point, which is that, you know, food poisoning and just honestly traveling with someone, like, every phase of our life, like, I'm just bringing this up because it's a recent example, but I feel like as you live and have life with someone, you're going to go through all these different things. And in the perfect situation, it will deepen the layers of your relationship, you know? And yeah. like, I feel like it's like this onion and it's continuously, as you get to know the person, it's like you start kind of like almost the circling, circling around the middle of it together, right? As your relationship builds, because you're an individual, I'm an individual, but our relationship itself is its own entity in a way. So right? I, I would I would change your analogy then to say it's more like a tree. Because as a tree grows, well, its layers I, I get all, thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker. Babe, that is so interesting because I always use the analogy of a tree and I talk about how attachment of the roots and the trunk is the friendship and then all the kind of romance branches out from there and, and the roots are what you need to start. But you just added another element because I didn't think about that. The, a tree gets thicker and thicker and thicker on the outside. Well, I mean, it's, it, when they cut a tree in half, like they figure out how old it is by right. counting the layers. The but rings but the that's inside. not exactly... I don't think a one-to-one for the analogy I'm trying to make, but I do like that idea. But I think I was thinking in terms of the onion, like if our relationship is the onion, you know, as you get to know someone, you start peeling back the layers all around you until like you're just, your hearts are there, you know, and like each, but each year there's more layers of the onion. So do you ever really get to the full center? I don't know of getting to know someone and like your relationship and like the depth of your relationship. Do you know I, what I mean? I think our relationship in that particular context is in maybe more like an artichoke. Oh my God. You just can't hang out with the onion metaphor. Whatever works. You for can't you. even eat onions right now. <laughs> like you are, we eat our artichokes all the time. And that one's, I think, more interesting because like you peel the leaves off and it's like That's little true. pieces. And there's an actual heart. And then the, the heart center. is the best part <laughs> of the artichoke, right? The heart of an onion is not the best part of an onion. Okay. I'm just giving well, you, I'm we'll giving go you a with good the analogy. Because you make good points. My point is that I really think that that is the tr- a true, like, mark of a good relationship is that when you have conflict you get closer it makes you feel better but that like 
over the years as things happen, like you think, you know, someone, but there's always so many more layers to get to know them because you're having new experiences that maybe they didn't even know that side of themselves yet. Yeah. You know, and then you are experiencing that side of themselves with them, you know? Yeah. And so I don't know. I just like, I'm so excited for that. Like how our relationship's going to deepen and change. Like when we have kids, you know, and when we end up buying our house and things like that, you know, just like to have that connection and be with you by my side as those things unfold in our lives, you know? And you see, that's a, that's a much more elegant way of putting what I, <laughs> putting what I said. This is, you do this a lot. Like anytime we're talking about things or our relationship, something you'll ask me like, what do I think about this? Or what is this? And I'll give like this kind of like, like a, I, it's a good answer, but it's like very succinct. And then you'll give <laughs> your answer. And it's this very eloquent, like layered, breakdown and i'm I always after you do it i'm always left sitting there. i should have said more i could have gotten more detail <laughs> oh god kind of like what we did when we were in edinburgh and or no glasgow we were just leaving glasgow and i asked you if you could recount the summary of my life <laughs> you gave like some basic points and then i recounted the summary of your life as far as i would know it or you would tell it yeah and then afterwards you said that exact thing you're like oh well i wish you had gone first i would have known <laughs> I should have said all that. See, this is this. Is I the, can't help if I'm naturally poetic. Basically. See, now, now that we've had this conversation, though, now anytime you ask me a question like that, I'm going to be like you first, <laughs> so that way you can lay it out and be like, okay, here's a template I'll follow. You now I know the level of commitment that you, babe, that you, you got to trust your own question. poetic instincts. Like you have a lot of heart, and like you're very eloquent. You you have a m- much more vast vocabulary than I do. Anyway, point is. See, now that you said that, I'm not going to be able to say like any words over three syllables for the rest of however long we have left. Well, I think we're at the end because I think we're going long. And yeah, that's, that's, we've been going for a while now. Yeah. But thanks for being on. You're welcome. I think you shared a lot. I hope people are going to get a lot out of it. And uh, maybe we'll do a part two someday. Yeah. Maybe some, maybe further down the line when there's more to talk about. We'll always have something to talk about. I don't know. I'm going to get, get to be a more curmudgeonly old man as things go on. So like over time, that may be fun to trace as like my views. Eventually, it's just going to be like, you're going to ask me questions and get off my lawn. That is not going to happen. <laughs> and I'm putting that out there right now. Putting that in the universe. That, I'm not allowed uh, to become a curmudgeon. No. Man. That's who I am deep in my heart. Babe. <laughs> all right. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> I had to say that because we end all conversations that way. So. <laughs> well, we start most conversations that way. We say that in the middle of conversations. It's how we end conversations. It, it said a lot in this house. Yeah. All right. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed the sneak peek behind my marriage and learned something from our collective, what, like almost 40 years of dating between the two of us. A long and expansive resume of dating. Yeah. All right. I'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Truer Love Stories podcast, produced by me, Taryn Newton-Gill, with the help of Guanisha Motley at One Elegant Exec and edited by the amazing Max at Laguna Studios. If you'd like to anonymously share your personal love story and have me coach you on air, please email me at hello at truerlove.com. And if you enjoyed listening to today's episode, your support would mean so much. Please make sure to subscribe to the show to get updates on new episodes. And if you wouldn't mind just taking a couple extra minutes to review us on Apple Podcasts, your review goes a long way in getting more ears on our content. I can't wait to have you join me again. So in the meantime, stay true to yourself and talk to you soon.